Okay, so today we're going to talk about experiential learning, which studies and many educators will tell you is the most effective type of learning. We're going to do that because if we can provide experiential learning experiences for our clients, it will help them to truly understand what we're doing and it'll build deeper relationships with them, which we all know by now will lead to more work and more quality introductions from our existing clients, which means more revenue now, and also um, results in higher retention, which leads to more revenue in the future. But more than that, it creates happier clients and more fun. So they're more fulfilling engagements. So now what is experiential learning? Well, <clears throat> years ago, Ben Franklin said, tell me and I forget, teach me and I may remember, Involve me and I learn. And that famous quote has since been proven by science and educators call it experiential learning. If we as advisors want to build deep, lasting relationship with our clients, we need to move from telling them what to do, which anyone can do, robo-advisors and everybody else can tell them what to do, to helping them learn. In other words, we need to move from planning at them to planning with them. And that makes it our job to create the environment that will produce trust and the learning environment. If you take the time to do that, you'll differentiate yourself from your competitors. You'll build deeper relationship with your clients. And again, which increases business and retention and the number of introductions you get. It will take more of your time and it requires you to develop the discipline to listen to understand rather than just listening to respond. So what is experiential learning. Let me give you a couple examples. Years ago, <clears throat> there was a judge who sentenced, <laughs> for lack of a, a better word, about a dozen inner city kids to an outdoor experience. And uh, so what he did was he ordered them to go on a weekend outdoor experience um, that was going to be headed up by a couple of scout leaders. So the boys were all given backpacks and sleeping bags that they had to pack up and bring with them. They went down to the, I guess it was the parking lot at the, at the courthouse and bus picked them up and took them out to the trailhead. When the bus got out to the trailhead parking lot, the scout leader came up and told the drivers, all right, dump all the backpacks and bags and stuff in the parking lot and you can leave. So they leave. So there's these boys standing around, a couple of scout leaders and a pile of stuff, a pile of these uh, backpacks. And next to the backpacks and stuff was a big Dutch oven. This thing weighed about 75 pounds or 70 pounds and had a wire handle, if you remember those things. So a big Dutch oven, a map, and a compass. And the scout leader gets up and he goes, all right, here's the deal. Pulls up the map and shows them where they're at in the parking lot. Here's where we're at right now. Showed them a mark on the map that showed where they were going to have lunch. Here's where we need to go to lunch. And then showed them the third place, which is where they're going to camp, and said, and here's where we need to be by evening. Now, here's the deal. If you make it to lunch location by noon, we could have lunch. But if you don't make it there by lunch, by noon, we don't have time then to get the camp set up. So we're going to have to skip lunch and keep going until we get to the place that we're going to set up camp. And then we'll have to set up camp and then we'll get to eat. So if you make it to this first point by noon, we'll have lunch. If not, we'll keep going. And then if you make it to the second point, we're going to set up camp, the campsite. If you make it there early enough, we can decide whether we're going to, have, we're going to eat first and then set up camp or set up camp first and eat. If we get there too late, we're going to have to set up camp first and then we'll eat after that. 
Now, my job is just to make sure you get back here safe. So I'm not gonna do any of the work. I'll help you along the way. You can ask any questions you want. I am happy to help you, but you know, I'm not gonna do any of the work. And you know, talking about help, let's start with here with some of these backpacks and stuff are really packed wrong and which makes them a lot heavier and a lot harder to, to deal with as you're on your hike. If anybody wants help packing their pack, I'm happy to do that. So just come on over and we'll do that. But now your job is you gotta figure out how you're gonna get there um, and get there. And like I said, I'll answer questions, but I'm not gonna do any of the work. Well, at that point, a couple of the kids walked over and said, you know, can you help me pack the gear? So he went over there. The rest of the boys started walking around and they were throwing out ideas and stuff. It didn't take very long before they realized the first decision they need to make was, we need a leader. And being typical 12 and 13 year old boys, they selected the biggest kid to be the leader, right? The strongest among us is going to be our leader. So he became the leader. Um, interestingly enough, and fortunately enough, one of the boys knew what a compass was and what a map was and knew how to use them. So he told him that, well, he automatically became the navigator. So with that, you got the leader of the boys proclaiming, okay, here we go, everybody grab your gear and let's go start hiking. So they all grabbed their gear, they put on their backpacks, the navigator had the compass and the map, and they started to walk out of the parking lot with the Dutch oven sitting there in the middle of the parking lot. And so the scout leader calls back, he goes, uh, boys, that Dutch oven has all of your food in it for the weekend. So if it stays here in the parking lot, by the time you get to where you're going to lunch, there's not going to be any food to eat. You're not going to be any food for the whole weekend. So you got to get this with you. So the leader being, you know, the, the wise 12 year old found the, the smallest kid and said, you carry the Dutch oven. Well, this kid goes over, grabs the Dutch oven, tries to lift it up. He can't even lift it or barely lift it. So then they decide we'll have two people carry it at a time. So they both carry it and off they go. Now, remember this Dutch oven has a wire handle, so it's not very comfortable to, to go. So they take off and start walking. <clears throat> well, after they hike for a little while, the two guys that were carrying the Dutch oven start complaining because it's hurting their hands. And so they start rotating and two more boys took over. And amazingly enough, they actually got to where they were supposed to be at lunch in time to have lunch. So they had lunch and the boys are, it's like celebration time, right? They think this is pretty cool. And they're starting to have a little fun. So they set up a rotation. You know, they, the, the leader had two more boys grab the Dutch oven. They started heading up to the camp. On the way up to the campsite, there was kind of a mini mutiny because it turns out that everybody had taken a, a, a time of carrying the Dutch oven except the leader. And the other kids weren't gonna have any of that. So they had a little powwow and this, the leader decided, okay, I'll take my, my turn too. And so then they set up a rotation of every so long and, and, and paired them up because I think there were 12 of them. Well, they made it to the campsite in time um, to, uh, to set up and have camp and they did. And then the scout leader talked to them about the different things they were going to do over the weekend and, you know, and how they're going to work together and all of that stuff. They had a great dinner. They're all tired from hiking and carrying that thing, went to bed, got up the next morning and they started on their, their three day journey of, of experiences. Now, what was interesting is by the time those boys made it back to the parking lot, at the end of the third day, they had bonded into a well-oiled machine. They were a team. They knew how to make decisions together. They were working together and they were having fun together. That wouldn't have happened if the scout leader would have appointed one of the guys to be the leader and told everybody what to do. 
it only happened because they experienced it together. Or to put it in Ben Franklin's context, had the scout leader told them what to do, they would have probably forgotten it by the time they got to the camps, back to the parking lot. But because they experienced it, many of those learned and probably their lives were changed forever. The scout leader's mantra was, a leader should never do what the boys should do. And when we're working with families and businesses and organizations and teams, that should be our mantra too. Our job is to help them set up, we need to set up the safe environment so that they can learn together and they can do it together. That way it's theirs and they own it. And, and they'll, they'll use it. Uh, an example of that is, um, I had a client family, actually it was, it was two brothers and their kids and stuff. So there was, um, there were a bunch of them. And um, they created their family purpose statement and they decided it was time to have some family governance, which only means, you know, family governance is just a methodology for making decisions together and for resolving upsets and disputes between the group together. So it's, it's, it's just, that's all it is. Um, so they decided that the eight members of generation two should do this because they were the ones going to need it anyway. Um, and so they all got together and they, they liked that. They were going to get the, the chance to figure out how they're going to make decisions together. And because they're the ones that are doing it. But the first decision they made was really interesting. The first decision they made was to enlist one of the brothers and one of the generation one to be what they called an elder for the group. Now the elder didn't get to vote, but their job was to say, you know, if something came up, they could raise their hand and go, okay, we tried that and this is what happened. So he was there to provide institutional knowledge so they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. So with that, they decided, okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna meet, you know, once a week for like a couple months, then we'll have, um, oh, actually it was six weeks. Once a week for six weeks, then we're gonna have bi-monthly calls for two months and then monthly calls for two months and then we're getting together for what's called their ongoing heritage milestone gathering and at that meeting we will uh, finalize everything sounded great but it was a logistical nightmare because two of them lived in london uh, as in london uk right uh, two of them lived on the east coast one lived in mountain time and the rest of them lived in pacific time so we had 12 time zones we had to deal with but they took this on and we had those calls and they worked through it all. And then they got to the meeting and they finalized everything and they all felt really good about it. And it was theirs. This wasn't something that I drafted and gave to them. It was theirs and they owned it. As the meeting got over, the guy who had been the elder uh, pulled me aside and he goes, all right, I gotta know. If I would have just asked you to draft up some standard family governance provisions, how long would that have taken? And I kind of smiled and said, a couple hours. And he said, so how much different would it have been from what we got? And not much. And this looks a lot like what it would have ended up with. But there's a huge difference in what this, the significance would have been and what the result would have been. Had I drafted it, they wouldn't own it like they do now. It would have been my document, not their document. And they would have missed the opportunity to work together, to negotiate together, to compromise together, and to reach decisions together, and to own this thing. And that experience is way more important than the document. And he laughed and he said, you know, I kind of figured that out after about the third call. I realized that the real benefit from this is the exercise of doing it. Whatever the document is, we can always revise later. So it's not like that's set in stone. So, you know, the real benefit is, is doing this. And it was. 
it was interesting the next year when they had their, their family gathering, um, the ongoing um, Heritage Milestone, they were having a dispute and they were trying to make a decision on something and they were going back and forth. And finally, one of the next generation, one of the G2s goes, wait a minute, we spent all this time coming up with how we're going to make decisions together. Why don't we use it? And so they actually did. And it went really smooth after that. So, you know, and again, had I created that and given it to them, it wouldn't have been there. So let me give you an example uh, from the financial investment world, you know, investment advisor world. A lot of times, particularly with the, the rising generations, um, if you want to build a relationship with them or even current client, you know, uh, older clients. But as you do this and you're building the new relationship and you're getting them started, a lot of people will, you know, tell the clients, we're going to invest this way because of this. And the clients really don't connect those dots. They'll, they're just trusting you that you know what you're doing and you're doing it this way because of this. Experiential learning would mean that you would actually, actually ask the questions about real specifically what you want. And then you can explain it this way. Okay, the reason I'm asking these questions is if you want this for income, then we invest it one way. If you want this for growth, then we invest it a different way. It's not like we just pick good stocks and no matter what you're doing, we buy those stocks. So for example, if we need income, if this account for you is being set up so that you can have income, then we're going to look for and then describe the type of stocks and, and why you would buy those stocks rather than growth stocks. And then on the other hand, if this is like retirement, we're not going to use this for a long time and you just want it to grow without having to pay a lot of taxes while it grows, then we're going to, going to invest it this way and describe those things. So it, it takes longer because you're going to have to explain what you're doing and, and get them, make it interactive so that they can explain what they want and make sure that they're understanding and then, then give them a list. I mean, I, the ideal situation is give them like a list of a, like four different kinds, four different stocks, you know, which this one pays a dividend, this one doesn't, this one grows, this one doesn't and have them laid out and say, okay, so now if you were going to do an investment portfolio for something that's growth, which one of these would you pick? and let them tell you and then either correct them or you know, praise them one or the other uh, for the one that they pick. So that they actually are working with you to understand how this is versus you just telling them, this is the stock you want. Hopefully that makes sense because it does take a little more time, but it really builds the relationship with the client and they get it. Now they understand what it is. There's not just, you told them what to do and so they're, they're gonna do it. For us, what that means is facilitating these experiential learning experiences rather than telling them what to do, it's much more difficult for advisors and much more difficult than most advisors expect because we're trained and we're paid to give advice. So our, our fallback, our norm is we give advice, hence the term advisors. But if we really wanna develop deep lasting relationship with our clients, we need to move from telling them what to do, which again, anybody can do, the robots can do, to helping them learn. We need to move from planning at them to planning with them. It's our job to create that environment that will produce that trust and to allow them to learn together with us. If you take the time to do that, you're going to differentiate yourself from your competitors and build deeper client relationships will, as we all know, will increase your business, your retention, and your introductions. Takes more time, and it will require you to develop some listening skills because you're gonna develop the discipline to listen to understand rather than just listen to respond. 
but it is well worth it in building the relationship with your clients and what it's going to do for both them, your relationship with them, and your business in the future. Hopefully that's helpful. There's going to be some information about this on our website. So if you want more information about it, go to our website, which is www.theheritageinstitute.com. And you can get um, the information from this uh, podcast and then some of the follow-up information that, that goes with it.